Wow, well, let's all just take a big deep breath, mostly me, because I've got lots to say and limited time. And just invite the Holy Spirit to come and be with us. We know that you're here already, Holy Spirit. Now we know that you're just so present with us during worship. And it's because you so beautifully told us and just read that beautiful psalm that we actually cannot escape from your presence. No matter where we go, we cannot escape from your presence. And I just ask for each one of us today that you would just raise our awareness. Would you open our spiritual eyes? Would you open our spiritual ears that we could be so aware of your closeness to us? I pray for every person here, including myself, God, that you would just give us a deeper revelation of your nearness, of your love for us, and of how much you want to impact every area of our lives. Lord, we just pray we want to be burning ones for you. We want to be people that know your presence intimately. God, and we want to be people that impact this city. We're so grateful for this new venue, God, but we're so aware of everybody outside the venue. And Lord, we just pray that this would be a place that would attract them in. Amen. So I felt to preach this morning on being people of his presence. And... Um, Often what I try and do in the week before I preach is really just seek God's heart for what He wants to say to us specifically, bring a prophetic message. And I think that this is a prophetic message for us as, we, as we're in this new space, but it's also a message that's really, really core to me. And I felt like the Lord said, bring your core life message, bring the thing that's on your heart, that burns on your heart. And being a people of His presence is that thing. So I'm going to speak today about that. Um, and I... My real prayer is that we all just feel that hunger rising, that God would stir up hunger to be people of His presence in an even greater way. So what do we mean by His presence? Obviously we know that God is with us. That beautiful psalm tells us we can't even escape from His presence. He is with us always. Jesus said He is with us always, even to the end of the age. But often when we use that term, His presence, what we're actually speaking about is his nearness becoming manifest in our lives in some way, actually feeling touched by God in our senses. Psalm 34, 8 says we can taste and see that the Lord is good. So we can feel it, we can, we can experience it. And I know for myself, I, I said a salvation prayer very young, but what really transformed my life was when at 28 I felt this, this presence of God come close to me. I felt the atmosphere shift, I got goosebumps, I could hear a voice in my mind speak to me and something lit up in my heart that said, God is definitely real, He definitely wants to speak to me, He loves me and He wants to be in a relationship with me. And I know many of you in this room have had a similar experience. And luckily for us, that doesn't have to be a once-off experience, that's a lifestyle. We call it encountering God, having these divine encounters where we hear His voice or we feel Him close. And that, that, that lifestyle then means that um, we, can, we can be guided by Him. For me, it meant that He went into my past and healed my past pain and made me a whole person. It defined and shaped how I do relationships now. It defined and shaped who I know through myself to be. had a very different sense of who I was before God started to tell me, this is actually who I've created you to be. For he untook everything that I learned in my, my childhood and, and peeled it off me and revealed who I was always meant to be. And then that started to shape my future dreams, guide decisions. This is life of God and divine encounter. When we're people of his presence, we get to benefit from the nearness of his voice. 
such a privilege. And I know many of you have experienced this for yourselves and even, even created a lifestyle of it. And that's really good because today what I really want you to do is not just to hear a preach, not just to hear a message, but actively start interceding for this new space, this 55 Close Street that we've moved into, that this will be a space of His presence. That this will be a space where each of us encounter God regularly. Where this will be a space that as we start to burn from Him, people from the outside come in and start to experience Him too. And if you're hearing this for the first time and you've never had that experience of God really coming close, then my prayer is that today is your day. This is available to everybody. Nobody has to live with just a conceptual idea of who God is. He's a God who comes close. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And for those of you who call Signal your home, I really want us to go after this together because there's something, there's something about cultivating this individually in your own life, but it's something different to build it corporately. And I want each of us to actually take ownership of that. I know sometimes in church it feels like, you know, there's the leadership team and they're active and then we get to be passive, but that's not who we want to be. That's not our heart for this church. That each of us gets to contribute and be part of a corporate experience, a corporate identity of who we are together. So we know from Colossians 1.17 it says, in, in him everything holds together. So we know that he's with us. We also know that when we believe as Galatians 2.20 says, um, it is no longer Christ I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So there's an even closer experience. He's not just with us, he's in us. But then why in Matthew 18, 20 would it say, when two, Jesus said this, when two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. So there's a unique experience in the corporate gathering that we can pray into and we can choose to become people of His presence together. We fight for that for each other and we fight for that in this space, just like we did personally. I feel like there was a time during COVID especially where God was really putting His finger on personal, intimate relationship with Him. So we suddenly didn't have the corporate space. And we had to go into our, own, into our own intimate place with the Lord. We had to seek Him by ourselves. And I think that was really healthy. And I think what the Lord did was He, he really brought us into deeper intimacy in that time. Many of us um, were able to, to find something in ourselves when we didn't have the corporate encounter that we didn't find when it was easy to just come and be together. Does that resonate? Does that make sense? But I think what's happening now is we're coming back, we're meant to bring that, 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 that space, that intimate space, where we fought for alone um, in our relationship with the Lord into the corporate space and to be people of His presence that, that choose that together. Really important to be bringing ourselves. I really felt um, to say that today and I really hope that we'll go after that together. So Jesus said that He would be in our midst. And I think it's interesting every now and again to actually take a minute to think about what would that mean? If Jesus was actually in our midst, what would that look like? What happened when Jesus walked into rooms with people? It's not a rhetorical question, you can shout it out. What actually happened when Jesus walked into rooms? That it? Lives were changed. What else? People were healed. What else? Set free. Set free. Luke? They were seen. They were seen. <laughs> Got some red wine. <laughs> Water was turned to wine. <laughs> yeah. 
There were miracles. So many things happened when Jesus walked into the room. And we can expect, if he said with his own mouth that he will be in our midst when we gather two or three together, we can expect that those things will happen in our gatherings as well. Last year, Sipo and Sipakazi, who are in our church, um, and she runs a ministry school in Kailiche, and they prayed for a woman. She was 60 years old. She was HIV positive. She had a heart condition. They prayed for her. They saw her about 12, which was about a year later. Saw her about a year later. She said she was completely healed after they prayed. She's off all her medication, and she's now joined their Bible school. Your immediate instinct is to pursue him more. Catherine Roger Moore told me another story about, um, also this happened last year, they went to, to go visit a group of people. Uh, Roger wanted to teach on healing, and apparently he was really tired and didn't have much sort of energy. He'd had a hard day at work, and so he just read out of James. Um, you know, if any of you are sick, bring yourselves to the elders, anoint you with oil, and they'll pray for healing, and you'll be healed. And then just said, okay, we're going to do that now. And there was a girl there who um, had, had been attacked badly by an animal when she was very young. And she wasn't able to lift her hand, her arm, sorry. So if she, she could raise it, I think, to about there. And I think it was a little bit crooked. And that had just been the result of the accident. And there was no, nothing anybody could do, nothing any doctors could do. And they prayed for her. She immediately lifted her arm right up to the top. And she just burst into tears because she couldn't believe that God had healed her. There was another person in that room that witnessed it, and he just teared up as well. He just said, I've been really asking, um, you know, is God real? I really had a doubt in my mind, like, is God really real? But now that I've seen this, I know that he's real. So I want us to always know that we can be satisfied and peaceful in God. He's always with us. But at the same time, I want us to hold the tension of there are these tangible experiences of the kingdom coming of Jesus being in our midst and really changing things that are available. I'm also aware that sometimes when we pray, people don't get healed. And we all have to sit in that tension as well. But the Bible says that when Jesus is with us, things change. And we have to base how we approach life on what the scriptures say and not on what we haven't seen yet in our experiences. So I'm telling you these stories because I want to stir up that hunger for what's possible in our gatherings. And while there's no formula for attracting God's presence, I want to speak about three principles that I do believe if we go after these, we will attract more of God's presence in our meetings. So the three things I want to talk about is that people of His presence are worshippers first. People of His presence are clear in their identity as sons and daughters. And people of his presence are demonstrations of his kingdom. So let's start with people of his presence are worshippers. We've actually written here, people of his presence minister to the Lord first. I think often we, we get very focused on our ministry to other people, which is good because we, we are called to minister to other people. But our first ministry is we're called to minister to the Lord. We're called to bring him our lives and our worship. So I'm going to read 1 Peter 2, verse 4 to 5, just, just after I think what Taryn was sharing with us earlier. Coming to, him as, coming to him as to a living stone, 
rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we know that together God has called us a royal priesthood. But when we understand the history of the priesthoods in the Old Testament, it helps us to even further understand what this means. So I'm not going to go into all of the examples, but I do want to say that God has always desired to dwell among his people. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He wanted to be close. He wants to be close to us. He wants his presence with us. But because of man's sin and because of the, the separation that happened, he had to find creative ways to do that. So one of the ways he did was when Moses was on Mount Sinai, he gave him really specific instructions of how to build a temple where his presence could dwell in a real and physical way among the people. But not all the people had access. There were particular priests that had to offer up particular sacrifices um, and, and do a million things to be able to walk into that place as a holy of holies and dwell with God in his presence. It was an incredibly amazing privilege. And actually, those Levitical priests weren't given a land inheritance because their inheritance was the Lord. And I feel like there's something really important for us to grasp there. The Lord, his presence is our inheritance. Anything that we could pray for, any solution we think we want, when we can come back to that place of recognizing that actually every, all our heart's desires are met in that place of, of being aware of His presence, everything else becomes secondary. So those priests were given the ultimate honor of being able to minister to the Lord in the Holy of Holies and be a mediator for Him and an ambassador for Him to the people. And when Jesus died, it became the ultimate sacrifice for sin. The Bible says that the, the veil of the temple split from top to bottom. This would have been an incredibly thick curtain. It wasn't initiated by earth. The thing to catch about that is it was initiated by heaven, top to bottom. Split it open. Now that sin was atoned for, everybody gets to step into the Holy of Holies. And because we've always been living in that reality, I wonder if sometimes we fail to grasp the enormity of what that means. We get to have full union with Jesus. We get to go behind the veil. We get to experience heaven. And then as ambassadors and mediators, as we worship him, we get to bring that and we get to bring it to the people as priests. An amazing privilege. So let's be people of worship. But we still have to, this verse says, we still have to bring sacrifices. We are being built up a spiritual house. So he's the living stone, he's the cornerstone. We are then the living stones that derive our life from him. And together we're all being built into that temple. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. So what sacrifices are still required? Hebrews 13 tells us, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. This is what is pleasing to him. In another verse it says, he inhabits the praises of his people. Isn't it amazing that if we don't know, if that's too abstract, if you're thinking, wow, there was a curtain, there was a veil, I can now go behind it, where is this veil? I don't know how to get there. He actually gives us a way in. He says, I inhabit the praises of my people. And it's not enough to just feel it in your heart. He says, it needs to be the fruit, the fruit of your lips. Yeah. And why is it a sacrifice? Well, there are days where praise isn't a sacrifice. There are days where praise comes really naturally. 
But there are other days where praise really doesn't come naturally. There are other days where things have gone wrong or we're feeling disappointed or disillusioned or we just feel like, where is the presence of God even? And in those moments, if we can stop and if we can offer our praise and sacrifice in those moments that attract His presence, He comes to inhabit that space and we know His nearness. So we praise when we feel like it and we praise when we don't feel like it and we praise because He is worthy, not because of anything we actually want from Him. And I found in my life that in times when things have got really difficult and I can't find an answer, the answer is to worship. And it does feel costly. To get on your knees and worship and think of God horribly wrong is costly because actually what you want is an answer. And actually what you want is God to explain what just happened. But what you need in your spirit is to remember who God is and remember in worship. looking for the reference, but I, I've lost my place, but um, it says, we enter his courts with thanksgiving, gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. <laughs> Is it? Psalm 100. Thank you. Psalm 100. Psalm 100. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So God doesn't make this a mystery for us. He actually showed us the way in. And we started to kneel so beautifully, started worship today with that exact thing. She's ushering us in. She knows that this is the way in. Let's start with thankfulness. Let's move into praise. And that is how we access that throne room place of God's presence for us. It's a sign. The Lord is with us. It's such a beautiful thing to be hungry for more of God. It's such a beautiful thing to, to for this when this when we are in those seasons where this comes really naturally. But I know that we also go through seasons and I've I've definitely had these where where that hunger for the more doesn't feel as natural as it has, it has in other seasons. And those are the times where starting with thankfulness is so important. But I also feel like it's important sometimes to ask ourselves if we're not hungry for God, what are we full of? Now life has become, life can become very, very busy. It can become very, very distracted. There are, there are many, many things that we can become full of. But nothing satisfies like when we're full of God. So hunger should actually, just like natural hunger, hunger for God should be quite a natural feeling. We should feed ourselves on Him and just feel satisfied. And then that satisfaction actually makes us want more and we feed ourselves on Him more. But when we're out of the practice of that, if we leave it a little bit too long, we start to feed ourselves on other things. And then we forget to be hungry, and we can go a long time in that place. So if you're not in a space where you're feeling hungry, and we've all been in those spaces, ask yourself, what am I full of? It's very similar to when we've been eating a really bad diet, and you're getting used to comfort food, you're getting used to... And toasted cheese sandwiches and ice cream straight afterwards and forgetting to eat your vegetables and your body starts to feel sluggish but you actually just feel like more of that stuff the sugar for one is quite addictive the more sugar you have the more sugar you want but as you start to wean yourself off that and you start to feed yourself another diet that might feel uncomfortable at first and you might still crave you have all those cravings of the things that, that you know aren't good for you but if you can push through that part then your body starts to feel vital. 
and you actually start to feel healthy and full of energy and you remember this is how I was meant to feel. This is what life is meant to feel like. I'm not meant to feel sluggish. I'm not meant to feel like I have no energy. I'm meant to feel vital and thriving. And then you start to crave the good stuff. And it's very similar with spiritual hunger. If, you, if you're full of other things and you haven't made space for a while and you're like a bit sluggish in your spirituality and you're wondering like miracles ever actually do happen, that seems to happen very quickly. But if we start by an act of our will to, to fill ourselves with the right things, to contend, to pray, to spend time with the Lord, and while it's uncomfortable at first, eventually we get to that place where He lights up in us again and we hear His voice and we feel that vitality and we remember, this is how I'm meant to feel. I'm meant to feel Him close. I'm meant to feel hopeful. I'm meant to feel joyful. I'm meant to have a spring in my step. And the second thing I want to talk about today is people of presence know who they are. Again, in her message during worship, Supercarsi talked about that. She talked about knowing ourselves as sons and daughters. We're not only priests called to minister to the Lord and to be His ambassadors, but we are sons and daughters created in His image. So we represent Him, but we represent Him as His children. And who better to represent Him as His children, as the ones made in His image? There's no one else in creation that gets that privilege of actually being made in His image, of being given free will, being chosen um, to walk alongside Him and to represent Him here. So I'm going to read a few verses from Acts 22. Paul is preaching, um, he's preaching at a place called Mars Hill. This is one of the places where all the, the best philosophers and the best minds came to debate various ideas during that time. And he's frustrated and upset because he's seen all of the people in the city worshipping idols. And he so wants to give them a revelation of the one true God. So he says this. The God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Isn't that interesting? He, he desires our worship, but He actually doesn't require it. He desires it. We're in a relationship. It's a choice. Rather, He Himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, He made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. Why? So they would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him. Isn't that a phenomenal verse? Why did he create all of the people on the earth? Because he was so hoping that we would seek him and reach out to him. And as we reach out to him to find him. There's so many verses in the Bible that speak about pursuit. God doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our praise. He loves us. He wants it. And he's given us that, that free will to choose him. And as we seek him and actually put some time into really seeking his heart... That's where the desire of his heart is met. We get to fulfill that, that dream of him that he had from the beginning of dwelling with his people. And as we fulfill that dream for him, we actually realize it was our dream as well. That all of our desires are met in that place. God created them so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. 
though he is not far from any of us. He's right here. But there's a seeking and there's an opening of our eyes that illuminates him to us and makes him more tangible, more real, more manifest. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul is affirming that we are all God's offspring. Bearing in mind, he actually wasn't speaking to believers at that point. He's saying he created every single person. Every single person that walks this earth was knitted in their mother's womb by God, that they were a thought in his mind long before they ever walked this earth. Isn't that amazing? And it's coming into a knowledge of that. If we don't understand that, we can never, we can never, we can never be fully adopted into that place of being his, his child. We can never choose it. So we have to know, I am a son and a daughter of God. And we too can give our lives to idols. You know, like all of us, believers, non-believers, we can, we can worship other things, we can give our time to other things. And we can believe lies about who we are. And I think when we're people of his presence, all of us actually have to go on a journey of unpicking the lies that we believed about ourselves. You know, none of us had a perfect upbringing, even those of us with the best parents learned and believed lies about ourselves from young that God wants to, to, to take off us. You know, Heidi Baker always tells a story about how she used to adopt these orphans in Mozambique and she'd invite them into her home and she'd tell them, you are, you are a son in my house now. And next thing, three days later, they disappeared and they'd taken the TV. And then she'd have to go and find them, bring them back, and the TV's gone, and come back, and it's fine. Forgive you, you're a son in my house. And then they'd say, okay. And then a few days later, the son's gone, and so is the toaster, and whatever else. And she had to go out and find them again, and bring them back, and say, you don't have to take anything. You're a son in my house. And it would be this real unpacking for them of understanding that they're not an orphan. They're now a son in the house. You don't have to steal the TV. It's your TV now. The toast is yours. Everything here is already yours. And that's such a huge thing for each of us. And such a, I feel like it's a really intentional journey, actually, to start understanding, to start seeking God on who am I and what are the lies that I'm believing about myself that are holding me back from a full revelation of being a son or daughter. And we can start from the scriptures. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Each of us is significant. But the second part of that journey is to actually start seeking God for the specifics of who you are. Asking prophetic people, who do you, who do you say God says I am? What do you see in me? That's not a selfish journey. That's a really, really important journey because we all need all of us to be fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. In fact, it says in the Bible that the, the, all creation is waiting for the sons and daughters to be revealed. So we can have a partial revelation of that, but I firmly believe that, that the sons and daughters are still learning who they are, learning their authority. And we get to actively go after that. like in um, the story of Gideon where he's sitting terrified in that wine press going, you know, who knows what he was saying over himself and God just came and said, you are mighty warrior. God has something like that to say over each one of us. 
And it's usually surprising. I remember the first time someone said, you are going to preach. And I thought it was a false prophet. There's no way that's ever going to happen to me. And here I am. So God might say scary things over your life that are terrifying at the time, but it's because it comes with a grace to fulfill it. And even when you hear it and it sounds scary, I'm sure with Gideon it was the same, there's something in your heart that resonates with it. Like, oh, that might be. That might be who I am. Life becomes such an exciting adventure of understanding your purpose in God and partnering with Him. What would our church look like if we all had a full revelation of how God sees us? I wonder how the city could be impacted if we all had a full revelation of how God sees us. Okay, number three. People of his presence are living demonstrations of the kingdom of God. And this comes from that place of sonship. So we're the priesthood, we're sons and daughters, and we're his ambassador on earth. So that's what the priests were. They were able to go to the Holy of Holies, and then they took that revelation to the people. In the disciples' prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Revelation 11 says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. So that tells us that that's where we go. The kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord. But what the prayer in Matthew tells us is that in the gap, in between, our job is to start praying that in even now. And we may not see the fullness of it, but we can certainly pray into it. And I think that there's something about when we pray that actually pulls it in and draws it down. There's something about the prayers of the sons and daughters and the authority that we've been given. That when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And not only pray, actually position ourselves for that. Actually go, we're willing. We're willing to sit in this meeting and actually say, your kingdom come, your will be done. We prayed at the beginning of this meeting, have your way, Lord. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. So you pray those prayers and sometimes Holy Spirit does things we weren't expecting. So, so we need to make space for that. We need to make space for that. And, and as we do, that's when those prayers start to get answered. They start to get answered in partnership with Holy Spirit. There's quite a few parables that give us some clues about, about the space in between, between the end when Jesus comes back and the now um, and our part in it. And I'm going to read um, a parable from Matthew 25 about a master who leaves his land and um, he leaves his wealth in the hands of his servants. So he says again, it will be like, they've just told the parable of the ten virgins. virgins. Um, so he was talking about these, these women that were waiting and some of them had enough oil and some of them didn't. So that was one parable that just gave us a clue about how we're expected to wait for Jesus. What do we do in the meantime? And then he comes to this one. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. 
But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And then when he returned, the master came back and he asked each of them, what have you done with my money? And the first one said that he'd invested it and he'd had this huge increase. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. And the second one had also invested the money, he'd also brought increase. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. And then this other poor guy who actually had really good intentions, he wanted to look after what his master had given him. And he buried it in the ground and he said, I knew you were a hard man and, and I, didn't want to, I didn't want to squander what you'd given me, so I just, I just buried it and here's what, what, what is yours. And he called him a wicked and evil servant. And that's because he wanted increase. When you're an ambassador, these were trusted servants. And when you're an ambassador, you, you, you're, you're required to do what your master would have done. You represent them. And what he would have done, yes, he was a hard man. It wasn't even a wrong, uh, necessarily a wrong perception of who his master was. But what he, what he didn't do was what his master would have done. He didn't bring increase. And I believe that each of us have been given things, whether they're spiritual gifts or natural talents, whatever we've been given, there's something about that, that, that God is expecting us to go, I've given this to you and I'm expecting you to increase it. I'm expecting you to step out in faith and bring increase into the space. Jesus said, go, preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is who we get to be when we demonstrate the kingdom. Go, preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. What have we freely received? If you're not sure what you have to give away to people, the greatest clue is what have you been given? Where is the place in your life where you most needed a touch from God and got one? Where have you seen breakthrough? Where have you seen healing? Who do you know God to be? That's who you can bring. That's where you have authority to other people that are in that same situation. That's where we start. But we've also all been given spiritual gifts. So I've listed a few that are in the Bible. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Those are spiritual gifts that God gives out to his people. And I wonder if some of that parable is about stewarding those spiritual gifts. And I think it's hard for us sometimes because we see some people that are very gifted in a particular area and we think, oh wow, he must have had that from the day he was born. That must just be a gift that he's always been given. And what we often don't see in somebody who's displaying great gifts is the journey that they have to go on to, 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 to choose that gift, to steward that gift, to recognize it in themselves and to grow it. And if we haven't been on those journeys, we can think that we're not gifted. But it's like sitting under a Christmas tree and there's all of these gifts that God has given us and we don't even bother to unwrap them. That doesn't glorify Him. That must make the Father's heart sad. If that was me and it was my child, it's like, look what I got you for Christmas. It's okay, I'm fine, I don't need gifts, I just want to worship you, and I'm fine. It's beautiful, but it's not actually, it's not, it's not taking the gift and honoring the giver and going, wow, I'm going I'm to put some time in my life to developing these gifts. Particularly prophecy. The Bible says all may prophesy. There's nobody in this room that is not made to hear the voice of God. 
And John says, my sheep hear my voice. And if that's not manifest in your life yet, that's something to start practicing. And it will manifest in your life. If you're praying for people and you don't see them get healed yet, that's okay. Keep praying. Keep growing in that authority. Keep trusting God. Keep walking out in faith. And you will see breakthrough. This is available to each of us. I think most of us know this verse in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But you know that that actually relates to the verse that comes right before. Fan into flames the spiritual gifts of God. Fan into flames. So I think they were recognizing, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he was recognizing it's quite nervy practicing the spiritual gift. It takes a little bit of courage. But you were not given a spirit of fear. You were given a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. So take the gifts that you've been given and fan them into flame. And then the will start to burn. Let's be people that fan into flame the gifts. Because the people of Cape Town need us to have gifts. Just like in those testimonies I told. There's something really powerful about demonstrating God's power. You see someone healed. Everybody that saw that healing is suddenly interested in God. They've suddenly seen that it's real. You give someone an accurate prophetic word that just goes straight to their heart. And they realize God sees me. He loves me. They suddenly know God is real. They're on their own journey of pursuing them. There's something really beautiful about being a demonstration. And I believe that that was on God's heart when he sent Jesus to reveal him. And then Jesus sent us to continue that mission of revealing God on earth. We were also meant to do that with power. We were also meant to do that by demonstration of the spiritual gifts. In fact, Jesus says, greater works will you do than I did. How do we be people that even when we're not seeing the fullness of that yet, we don't change the subject and we don't decide that it's not worth it. We just keep going after it and encourage each other in it. Again, that's where the corporate experience comes in. This is supposed to be fun and it is fun. And when we do it together and we speak life over each other and we build each other up and we shape that culture in our church of we are a people that go after the presence of God, then we're going to attract people. We're going to be able to take that outside of this building. And I don't know about you, but every time I walk in here, I'm so struck by how many different types of people there are in the city. There are so many people in the city that are desperate for an encounter with God. I had somebody close to me ask me the other day if she thought um, it would be a good idea. I can sometimes be, for, for my friends that aren't um, believers yet, a bit of a wheeling Christian for certain events. They bring me in with christenings and funerals and with a general prayer. And sometimes for sort of very general spiritual advice. And she came to me and said, I think I, think I need to do ayahuasca, which is a mushroom trip experience. Because I have to find break, breakthrough and freedom. I have to find, I have to get unstuck. And I'm thinking, wow, the people of the world are desperate for a real spiritual experience. They're seeking it in so many different places. And I want us to be a space where she could come and where she could actually encounter God and have that spiritual experience in a safe place with the author of life, not a mushroom. Oh, mushroom. Those mushrooms are stealing our thunder. We need to take back a bit of ground. <laughs> oh. Sorry, time. <laughs> All right, don't worry, I'm wrapping up now.
This is how we honor God. Jesus was the ultimate model for life and model perfect faithfulness. And so just as those servants were called to be faithful, this is how we're faithful. We take what we were given and we steward it and we, we explore God with it and we explore it together. And I feel like church in the general sort of has been in the world, has been through a bit of a ringer in the last few years. And there's many of us that just feel like we've been in a bit of survival mode. But that's breaking off now and we're going to remember that we are more than conquerors. And that we are the voice into this world. We do carry the truth. We don't need to have it figured out. We just need to say yes to the one thing. We just need to say yes to him and to be people of his presence. Do you know that in the Azusa Street Revival, um, secular newspapers, it's a revival that happened in America, secular newspapers reported that the, the building was burning because there was fire, like flames, that, that they could see from the building and they, the fire brigade would go down and check and it was actually just spiritual flame. There were just visions that people were having because it was such a place of burning. And my prayer is that we become a place of burning. And the final thing that I want to say is that this is important to go after corporate people. We need to recognize that it does come at a cost. It does come at a yes. It does come at a choosing. It, it means coming to church every Sunday, being excited, expecting what God will do, and letting this be a place of encounter. And sometimes that costs a little bit of dignity. I can't tell you how many church floors I have cried my eyes out on because God was ministering, and it's embarrassing, but it's not. It, it's, would be so much worse to miss out on what he's doing in my heart. There's been times where I've had to come forward for prayer for something and my heart is thumping and I know that I need to go and I don't want to and I think, oh, I can maybe deal with that God later, but actually I need it to come up. So there's a cost to this. But the great thing about Jesus is it actually costs us everything, but the reward is getting all of him. And there's nothing more wonderful than that. All right, I'm going to ask us to stand and I'm just going to pray. Yeah, let's just close our eyes and let's just invite Holy Spirit to come. I just want to ask, like, if you, I'm going to keep our eyes closed, but if you just resonated with that, if you want to be part of our corporate experience of being people of His presence, if you want more of God, you want to just raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. Just put your, put your hands either up or out in front of you. And just say, God, I'm willing. Will you come and encounter me? I'm willing to pay the cost. I want to go deeper. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you just come and touch everyone on this room? Come and touch every heart in this room, Jesus. Thank you that we are people of your presence. Thank you that we are people of your presence. Yeah, thank you. Some of you are going to just feel that physically on your bodies. It's nothing to be worried about. Sometimes just when we have a touch of earth, but you can feel it physically. This is what we're praying for. Yeah, and I just feel like God is just, just putting flames in us again.
grieved you, why don't you just put your hand up? I just want to pray over you. I feel like the Lord is just going to release. Ooh, he's just going to redeem that time in Jesus' name. He's going to redeem that time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Everyone, hands up. Redeem that time in Jesus' name. Spiritual gift is still available. And I actually just pray acceleration on it. I pray that as you start to unpack it and as you start to fight for it, you would feel God's fire on it. Yeah, no time lost in Jesus' name. Yeah, we just want to declare this a safe space for practicing spiritual gifts. This is a safe place to practice spiritual gifts. Thank you. 